For those of you who remember or are aware of it, we're in the midst of a series on the New Testament church, that first century church. We've been looking at, at how that New Testament church was established in principle and in practice. What did it look like for that first church to really become organized in terms of their principles and what did it look like in terms of their practice? So we're going to look more specifically at the life and death of Stephen, that first martyr, that deacon. Before we look at that, I just wanted um, to kind of put us in perspective here. I don't know if you've seen it. A few years back, I used to see those bumper stickers that had the list of all the current religious symbols, and it spelled out, coexist. Remember? Did you see that? Um, Again, one of those clever ways of trying to make a statement. The the hidden message is that we should all see ourselves on the same plane, and and we just need to learn to get along, to to tolerate and respect our differences. I remember reading an author, a Christian author, several years back, who said at that time, quote, sincerity is the most overrated virtue in America. In other words, as long as you are sincere, it really doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere. You know, in in a sense, that's not a bad desire, is it? It's even a biblical goal that, that the Apostle Paul calls us to in Romans chapter 12. He says this, quote, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Yet, the difference for us as Christians is that there is something distinct and different about us. Because we are followers of Christ, we are not only on a different plane, but we're in a different universe. It's that different. Because in small ways and sometimes in big ways, There is always a cost in following Christ. We see that pretty clearly in the life of Stephen, who became the first martyr in the Christian church. So let's read that passage, starting in verse 51. And to put it in context, the entirety of chapter 7 is where Stephen was arrested and brought to trial and then gave a, a long defense of himself. And now he concludes his defense and concludes his life. Hear now the word of God, verses 51 through 60. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, 
Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He died. You know, in terms of the essence of the church in the New Testament, and what we have seen thus far, I think it's kind of a threefold picture we've seen thus far. What was this church like? First, it was made up of people, I hope you have seen, people who really loved Christ. They loved Jesus. Their lives were all about him. They see what he did in dying and rising from the dead for them. And it has literally changed their lives. Second, we saw that these people really loved each other. They not only worshipped together, but they would seemingly do anything for each other. And finally, the third thing we see is the essence of the church that it seemed to be made up of people who lived out their commitments to Christ and to one another at any cost. Whatever it took, they would follow Jesus and they would love each other, whatever it costs. Whether it was possessions or reputation or forgiveness or their very lives, they lived it out every day. Friends, we're going to learn many things from Stephen's example. But one underlying theme you and I should never forget in terms of being a Christian is this. It will cost you your life. It will cost you your life to follow Jesus. Let's look at this scene, at the scene of the life of Stephen, I think as a paradigm or a picture of what truly being a follower of Christ is all about. What, what do we all have in common with Stephen as we try to live for him who died for us? I want to give a simple outline that we're going to be looking first at the cost of being a Christian and then the benefit, the benefit of being identified with Christ. What does it cost to say, I love Jesus Christ? He's my life. What does it cost you? And what is the benefit of saying, my Lord and Savior is my life? You know, there are many things to be said about the cost, many things. But let me just highlight three that I think are alluded to in this passage as we see this. And the first thing that's really significant about the cost of being a follower of Christ is you have a significant change in your identity. Your identity is changed. You are no longer and never will be the same person again. Life is no longer primarily about you and your desires. 
It is about the glory of God in Christ. Friends, that's not a, a trite little, kind of cute little thing we say in Christian circles. It's the essence of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 14. Listen to what Paul says about the Christian life. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Stephen's identity was clearly, clearly in the God of the Bible and in his son. We don't really know when or how Stephen became a follower of Jesus. But we know he had his identity in the God of the Bible and how those promises were fulfilled in Christ. Think about it. Stephen had been arrested and accused of blasphemy against Moses and against God himself. These Pharisees were bringing him on trial because you are undermining everything about the Old Testament law. Yet Stephen, if you read that, Stephen showed his accusers how ignorant they were of these very scriptures. And if you go back to the beginning of this chapter and read it, you will see a full-blown sermon on the history of God's redemption and how he came to save his people in Christ. Stephen was preaching to them the truth. And he would now turn the tables. Look again at verses 51 through 53. And we see pretty clearly what's going on here. What is he doing? He is accusing his accusers of, quote, being stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, and murderers. (laughs) Stephen was intentionally using Old Testament terms that these Jewish leaders knew they were meant primarily for Gentiles who were to be judged by God as unworthy. Stephen, how's that for toleration and winning over a crowd? (laughs) You stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised. (laughs) You're not going to gain friends using that kind of terminology. But he could do no less than make these charges for the identity of Jesus was being insulted and mocked. It would cost him his life because he had identified with Jesus. A lesson to be learned for us who profess Jesus, you and I must be grounded in the word of God, which is where we ultimately find our history and our identity. Your relationship with God is not just your experience. It's got to be saturated in the experience of the history of God's redemption in life. Stephen was confident in the word of God, as well as his experience with Jesus. You know, a second cost here is not only our identity, a second cost to be paid in identifying with Christ is that of struggle, (laughs) struggle. Now, I'm not suggesting that every Christian will have the same kind of struggles and meet the same end as Stephen, but there will be struggle. Look again at verse 54. What does he say? Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged 
and ground their teeth at him. You think they were a little concerned about Stephen? You, I mean, you can imagine grinding teeth, anger, and enraged at what he just said. He went from that gracious deacon, that servant who was filled with the Holy Spirit, to one who was about to be sacrificed, the first Christian martyr. You want to be a deacon in this church? (laughs) It might cost you life. Anyway, that's a side thought. While most of the world is trying, think about it, while most of the world is trying to find that struggle-free life, in real sense, the believer already, in a biblical sense, has been freed from that struggle. Yes, the Christian is not free from struggles, but because of Christ, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. Satan and sin will fight against us, but will never win because our identity has been changed. We are in Christ Jesus. You know, if you trust in Christ, it will cost you. You will now more realistically struggle internally and externally for the rest of your life. When when was the last time you struggled for your faith? Now, I'm not talking about when was the last time you had a religious argument. We indeed need to defend our faith, but we should also be living out our faith. Sooner or later, that will get in the way of the world. And you'll either be persecuted or marginalized because of it. How do you handle that? That's a struggle, isn't it? To more and more live for Jesus in an increasingly dark and opposed world? What do you do with that? That's a struggle. But a third and final cost is not simply our identity or our struggle, but it will, the final cost is death. Death. It will cost you your very life. Stephen lost his life because of Jesus. Now I'm going to stop here and, and, out of, and point out something that it's not stated in this text, but I think it's clearly established in how this martyr died. Think about it. Stephen actually died long before the stones were thrown at him. The day he gave his life to Jesus was the day that he died to himself. I'm dead. I found Jesus. I'm dead. I've got no life except Christ. Paul would pen these words so clearly to describe what happens when we are converted. Listen again to what Paul says about himself and every Christian. Quote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Friends, no one can ever be more alive than the one who has died to Christ and now lives for him. It costs you your life to follow Jesus. If you look closely at the way Stephen died, you will better understand how he lived 
and how all of us should live as well. Look again at verses 55 and 56. What does he say? He said, Behold, I see the heavens open to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. He looked into the heavens where his help came from, and he was always looking to Jesus. He always prayed. He knew the Lord was with him in every place and every season. And finally, he trusted himself and his circumstances to the Lord. But it would cost him his life. But he would have it no other way. That's the cost. That's the cost of of following Christ. But what about the benefits? What are the benefits of really being identified with Jesus that we see as part of the essence of that New Testament church? These people had no identity apart from Christ and were willing to pay the price. But what were the benefits? The benefit of being a follower of Christ, I, can, I think, can be boiled down twofold here. Two simple principles. First, if you have trusted in him, you are truly prepared to live. You really can live. Stephen knew how to die well because he knew how to live well. The offense of the Christian faith and of Jesus in particular. Think about it. The offense of the Christian faith and of the person of Jesus is that he, Jesus, tolerates no other way to know God and to have life but through him. Jesus himself says, if you have me, you have life. If you don't have me, you don't have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It doesn't get any clearer than that. My friends, don't just hear the warning of these verses, but the promises too. You will be prepared to live in this world that will not only be fulfilling, but God-honoring as well. I think the second principle that flows right from the first, if you know how to live, then you will also know how to die. Look again at how this martyr, which that martyr term in Greek actually means witness, how this witness died for his death, in his death. The anger and the chaos got so bad. You remember what we read here? Got so bad. What did the accusers do? They stopped their ears. They took him out of the city and stoned him to death. Almost looked like little children, didn't they? Shut up. You got to shut up. We don't want to hear this. Grab him. Kill him. Get him out of here. They were that angry. They were screaming, saying, shut up. We don't want to hear this anymore. But instead... Instead of crying out in anger, he entrusted himself to the Lord and literally looked to Jesus. Two quick prayers in those last two verses. What did he say? What were his final words? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. My life's in your hands. And then he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's all he had left, and that's all he needed. Where else did we hear this? 
Father, receive my spirit. Don't hold this sin. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? I'm dying, and I'm supposed to say, God, forgive them. God, I trust you when there's chaos all around and my life is being threatened. I'm supposed to trust you and rest in you. Oh, friends, who knows the effect of his death that it would have on others? Luke, the writer of this book, did know, and I hope you caught that in verse 58. Did you catch that? (laughs) When the executioners laid their coats at the feet of who? Saul, who would soon become Paul. He was part of the group that wanted to kill every Christian he could find. Get rid of them. Get them out and stone them. Put your cloaks here, brothers. I'll help you. (laughs) Let's kill this guy. St. Augustine, listen to what St. Augustine said. It said that he observed by this moment in Stephen's life. St. Augustine said this, quote, The church would not have Paul had not Stephen prayed. He's saying this is the impact that this martyr who paid the price had on this man named Saul. God forgive them. Receive my spirit. Jesus, it's all about you. When I was doing youth ministry years ago, we would often attempt to try to help talk to young people about dealing with the reality of death. And we would often say about death, you know, you're not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. You can't really live the life you're called to live until you're prepared to die the death you and I are going to die. You can't do either without Jesus. So I think it does lay out some clear principles for you and me. What about you? What about me? Are you you living or are you dying? You know, this world and our bodies, they are dying. But we are the people who are truly living in the midst of death. And we are ready to die as well as to live. We are truly surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Go read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the, it's the hall of fame of faith. All kinds of people who went through all kinds of things. But let me give you two more contemporary ones of people who are part of that hall of faith who put their identity in Jesus no matter what. The first is a couple of family I knew when we served the church in North Carolina, Jonathan and Kate Mitchell. Jonathan was a missionary child who grew up in Pakistan. His parents spent years there, and he grew up in that nation seeing the gospel. Later in life, when he married, he took his family, and they, too, were missionaries in that same land. If you know anything about it, it's a very hostile land, very hostile place against the gospel. And the story is that, that Kate, they were in church, in this small church. And then right in the middle of the church service, a radical anti-Christian group charged in and threw several hand grenades underneath the bench, just threw as many as they could in this church building. One, one grenade rolled right under the bench where Kate and one of her children were sitting. 
Their quick reaction literally saved their lives. They had injuries to show. But it would be a lifelong reminder of some of the extremes in living for Jesus. People tried to kill us because we were worshiping Jesus. But then there's another one. As I mentioned, I served in a youth ministry for years. I still remember Warren. (laughs) Warren, a sophomore in the high school that I was working with. I talked to Warren about Jesus, grew a friendship with him, and he got involved in our program. And there was a point in Warren's life where he literally gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) A 15-year-old kid who heard about the gospel, the Christian faith, but didn't know what it meant, came face to face with Jesus and said, yes, I think I need him in my life. As Warren's relationship, it was quite interesting, as his relationship with Jesus grew, his friends became more and more distant, saying, you're not fun anymore. We're not with you. He started losing friends. He started losing a lot of what he had. But as Warren's faith grew through some very challenging times, I can attest to you, several of Warren's friends trusted in Jesus. (laughs) Why? Warren said, I'll I'll give up everything, even my friends. Why? Because Jesus is what I need. And I'm, I'm not worthy. I don't get it. But I can't take my eyes off of him anymore because of what he's done for me. And the impact that had on some of the the guys that he hung out with was dramatic and life-changing. Warren is now married with adult children who also now walk with Christ. And Warren would be the first to tell you it was costly. It cost me a lot. But he would also tell you, I would have it no other way. (laughs) I would do it over again in a heartbeat because look what my faithful God has done to me. Friends, Jesus, Jesus was not simply a martyr. He was a savior. And I urge you as your brother in Christ, as this pastor in this church, take your walk with Jesus a little more seriously today. Be a witness who can rest in him with your tomorrows and in your final day. Why? Because following Jesus will cost you your life. Would you have it any other way? I pray not. May God make you followers of Jesus to the end. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you it is costly, it is hard, but we also cry out to you, praise be to our God, that it doesn't depend on us. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe, and Lord, we ask that you would make us a people who take that call seriously, who take that cost seriously, who rest in the benefits of the work of our Savior more seriously so that we can live more clearly for him who died for us. Oh, hear our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.